Uh, today's message is about waiting. Uh, it's about waiting. Waiting uh, is, is hard. Sometimes we have to wait for exciting things. Let's say you're, you, you've, you've planned a trip. You want to go somewhere warm or you want to go visit some family and you got to wait for the day when you're going to travel. And then it's the day that you're going to travel and then you have to hurry up and get to the airport. Get to the airport two hours, four hours early. Why? So that you can wait. So you can wait to get, to get in line to get your tickets, and then you can wait when you try to use the computer and it doesn't work, and you have to wait to go into another line, and then you have to wait to you know, have them weigh your, uh, lug- your luggage and your baggage and make you feel guilty about how much stuff you're bringing, and then you have to wait, but then they have to open up all your other stuff and to see the x-ray vision, you're waiting for that, and then you have to wait in line for customs, and, and you wait for that, and then hurry up, I got to get to the gate, and now I'm two hours early before my flight take goes off, and I'm, and I'm waiting. And then they, they, start, they start announcing, uh, uh, you know, the important people can now board the, uh, the airplane, and all of you other losers can wait till the very end. And I'm always at the very end. And so you're waiting to get on the plane, and then finally you're like, oh, okay, I'm on the plane. And then nothing happens. You're just waiting, aren't you? And then you maybe start to taxi. You're like, oh, this is some progress. And then the captain comes on and says, just letting you know there's going to be some more waiting in your future. And you're, you're, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then you, 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 get, you take off in the air and then you, you land and then you're waiting again. Maybe more customs, maybe baggage claim, all that, and transportation. Even doing fun things involves waiting. Doing important things involves waiting. If you're out of work and looking for a job and you're on all of these websites and you're doing research and you're trying to get training to better yourself and you're putting out these resumes and you're waiting for someone to call you back. And then you're, you, you, you get an interview and then you're counting down the days and you're going over all of, your, all of your answers to the questions and you're preparing and getting ready and you're waiting for the interview day. And then the interview happens and then you're waiting to see if you get called back. You're waiting all the time. Or you, or, or you get a call from your doctor after you do some routine blood work, and your doctor says she wants to do some more tests, and she tells you you need to go to this place at this time, and it's like three weeks from now, and you're like, can I get the test? You're waiting for those additional tests, and then you're counting down the days. You're asking people to pray for you, and then you do the test. You never find the answer to the test on the day of the test, do you? No, so you've taken the test. Now you're waiting for the test results. You're waiting from the... So then, then your doctor's office calls you and says that the test results are in, but they don't tell you over the phone. You're waiting for an appointment with your doctor to find out what is actually going on. Fun things like vacations, important things like finding a job, difficult things like illness, they all involve waiting. 40 days and 40 nights of rain was, was just, really just the beginning of waiting. We've learned about the importance of walking with God so far in the book of Genesis. And as we look today at the actual flood itself, the story of the flood is really, it's a story of judgment. It's a story of cleansing. It's a story of salvation. But it's also a story of waiting. Enoch walked with God. 
Noah walked with God. Noah waited on God. And we're going to see this in Abraham's life as Abraham and Sarah are waiting for a child. We're going to see this in Joseph's life as he's waiting for all of the loose ends with his father and his brothers to all get tied up. Walking with God often involves waiting on God. And waiting's difficult. Waiting is hard work, but waiting is worth it. Patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the only ways that patience can be cultivated is when God asks us to wait. So this morning, as we look at this passage in Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8, we're going to see four things that that we do when, when we're waiting. Well, what are we developing? What is happening in us when God calls us to wait on him? Here's the first thing, that when we wait on the Lord, we trust. We trust We trust that what God has said will come true. In verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, this is the the first time in the book of Genesis where dates become very, very important. There's all of these references to the month and the year and the day because it's been a long time. And Noah is, is recording All of these dates, and Moses has preserved them for us here uh, in Scripture. Verse, uh, Verse 11 says that all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. This flood came at us from two directions. The fountains of the deep were opened. Something changed under the ground. Something changed under the water. And something happened above, something that had never been opened yet. These fountains, or sorry, these fountains from the great deep, they burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. Water from above, water from below. What's being described here is an unprecedented weather event. Now, Living in 2023, there's an unprecedented weather event every 13 minutes, it seems like. I can't open my weather app without seeing at the top, special weather statement. Like, is it really special if it's every day? This actually was uh, a, a... a moment in time where the, where, the, where the topography, where the geography, where, the, where everything changed. The whole atmosphere changed. The fountains of the great deep burst forth. Now, this is likely water. It was also likely volcanic eruption. You know that, that throughout history, there have been single volcanoes that have erupted that have caused the entire earth's temperature to cool by half a degree or one degree for a matter of even longer than a year in some cases. One volcano changing the atmosphere, changing the temperature, climate change. One volcano. Imagine if there's volcanoes erupting all over the world all at once. Imagine how different the world would be. Imagine the change that would take place. It also says that the fountains, sorry, that the windows of heaven were opened. 
Now, you don't have to believe this, but as, as I read the book of Genesis, here's what I see. I see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, coming up on the screen here, that, that God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. God divides the water with air. He creates an expanse. He says, let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that are under the expanse. That's like the water on the earth. From the waters that were above the expanse, above the earth. I don't think that's merely describing clouds. You could think it's just describing clouds. That's fine. But it seems like there was this canopy of water hanging over the planet. And God called the expanse heaven. Then we're also told in Genesis chapter 2 verse 5 that the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And it may be an argument from silence, but it never mentions rain after Genesis 2. It says there, there was no rain. And it doesn't say, and then the rain came until the flood. So I believe that this, this flood was such a cataclysmic event that it changed the climate forever. It changed the atmosphere. There was volcanic eruptions happening from below. There was new rainfall that had never fallen from above. That the, the earth was in some, some sort of different state at the time. You look at how the different continents appear like they used to fit all together. Maybe all of that took place during this cataclysmic event. God is ripping the earth apart and flooding it with water. And now is a real opportunity as Noah gets into this box and God shuts him in. Here's an opportunity for Noah to trust that God's plan was going to work, that he was going to follow through on his word. And then verse 12 says, for 40 days and for 40 nights, the floods rose. 40 days and 40 nights would have meant something for the original audience. When Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and the people below were supposed to wait, Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments and all the details of the law of how to obey and what was happening at the bottom. The people didn't wait and they made golden calves. Forty days and forty nights of waiting, waiting on God, trusting in him. Later on, the spies went into Canaan. For 40 days and for 40 nights in Numbers chapter 13, a season of waiting. What's it going to be like in there? Why is it taking them so long to, to, to come back and to give us a report? And again, the people, after 40 days and 40 nights, failed. And, and then, of course, because of the 40 days and 40 nights, they were punished and had to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. Again, another time of waiting. It says in uh, verse 15 that they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. Just underline that and make a mental note that that's a reference to Genesis chapter 1, the breath of life. We're going to see all kinds of references to, uh, to Genesis 1 here. And verse 15 says, God command, as God commanded him, Noah obeyed. And it says that the Lord shut him in. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. Noah had to trust that God was going to save them. Yes, Noah built the ark. Yes, Noah arranged for all of the food. Yes, Noah got all of the animals onto the ark in seven days in obedience to what God commanded. But at the end of the day, it was God who said, I'm shutting the door now and I'm going to protect you. 
And as the narrative unfolds here, we see Noah doing less and less and God doing more and more. Noah was working in chapter 6 in the beginning of chapter. He's getting stuff done. And now, his, now Noah's job is to wait. To wait and to trust. Some of us love to get things done. We love to be proactive. We struggle with waiting. We struggle with allowing God to work because we don't trust So Noah is placed in this box, and he's in there. Verse 17 says, the, no, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and rose high above the earth. It's working. What God said would happen is true. The ark floats. This, this boat slash barn, this, you know, this, uh, this, this floating farm uh, is, is working Verse 18 says, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. The waters prevailed. The, word, the Hebrew word there is Gabor. Some of us refer to God or pray to God. Lord, you are El Gabor. You are, the, you are the God of war. You are the mighty warrior that were prevailed, used three times in verse 18 and 19 uh, and, and 20. Is this idea that the water is winning. The water is like a mighty warrior destroying the earth, prevailing over the planet. And then it says all the high mountains were covered. Uh, 15 uh, cubits, 22 feet. And based off the size of the ark and how high it was, that was just enough for the ark to be able to float over any mountain on the earth at the time. Again, there's all kinds of volcanoes. Some of you are thinking, Mount Everest, really? We don't, we don't know if Mount Everest was formed as a result of the flood. Or if it was an existing mountain at the time, again, the topography was torn. We have all these volcanoes. The whole atmosphere is changed. We just know the whole water was covered. Sorry, the whole earth was covered in water. Now, some people just laugh at the idea of a worldwide flood. How could anyone believe that? Loved ones, do you know that on every continent, every continent, and, and, and at least one culture within every continent, there is a flood story? This isn't just a Middle Eastern Jewish thing. This isn't just a, this isn't just a Christian thing. Again, I'm really thankful that Pastor Chris took this, uh, took this trip to the Ark Encounter uh, a couple of weeks ago. He took a picture of this map here, uh, indicating these are all the different boats that are described in different uh, mythologies, different legends, different stories. I mean, we are talking about places as far away as Hawaii to Scandinavia to Greece to the Middle East, Africa, China, indigenous North America, indigenous South America, and Central America. The whole planet remembers a flood. The whole planet. And scientists and their lab coats and their clipboards, you know, belly laugh over the idea. I can't believe that Christians believe in this flood. 
Isn't it weird that the whole planet remembers it? And the guys in lab coats, they're slapping their knee. I can't believe there's a flood. Now let's get serious. Let's talk about science. It wasn't covered in water. It was covered in ice. Let's talk about the science. There's no evidence for a, for a flood, but we think it was probably a giant asteroid. Okay, don't you think a giant asteroid would leave a giant hole? Where's the evidence for the asteroid? And if you think the world was covered with ice, what, what is ice? Frozen water? I'm not a scientist. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here that maybe we should listen to the 200 individual, 200 individual recollections of a worldwide flood across the continents. 200 different stories. Eerily similar. Many of them have boats with animals being rescued. Many of them have, have a, a man with three sons and his wife and their wife. Many of them record sending out animals to see, or birds to see if, and many of them include rainbows as well. Maybe we shouldn't be belly laughing. And then we, we hear people talk, you know, they look at pictures like this and they say, well, I'm sorry, the, the next picture coming up here. They look at something like this, you know, a place like the Grand Canyon, and they look at these different layers and that they explain that just like the rings on a tree, all of the layers represent different periods of time. Have we heard that theory before? And, and you know, millions of years lay one layer and then another millions of years. And, and the layers get added on top of one another and on top of one another. And something like this happened over millions of years. And people walk around the Grand Canyon and say that. And then, they go, then we go to a place like this. We think it's the same thing, right? Layers. Loved ones, this formation happened in a matter of hours. This isn't the Grand Canyon. This is Washington State. This is Mount St. Helens. Two massive volcanoes, 1980 and 1982. In a matter of hours, we got layers. Catastrophic events leave the world in different shape. And that's what the, that's what the flood was. It, it was a catastrophic event. And there's a lot that you can, uh, that you can uh, talk, you can talk to, to Pastor Chris, uh, who will be at the, uh, the next service, uh, Craig Steele. I saw him come in. He's done a lot of work on uh, researching creation. Put your hand up, Craig. Uh, Craig's got lots of resources and that sort of thing as it relates to uh, creation, as it relates to, uh, to the flood. Loved ones, we, we don't need to be on our back foot <laughs> when it comes to believing what the Bible says. But more important than the, than the history, the 200 different recollections, more important than the geology or the topography, all of the layers, we got we to remember the message of the flood. Verse 21, the seriousness of it, and all flesh died. The flood was an act of judgment, a divine act of judgment on sinful human beings like you and like me. And the flood is an act of divine judgment, and the ark is an act of divine grace. 
Verse 21, all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. Again, that sounds just like Genesis chapter 1, categorizing the animals. And all mankind, verse 21, all flesh, verse 21, all mankind, verse 22, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left. Only Noah was left, and Noah was the only one left only because of grace. Chapter 6, verse 8 says that Noah found favor with God. God shut him into the ark and allowed Noah, who walked with God, to escape judgment. And loved ones, we as human beings, we are all under the judgment of God. We deserve the same fate, but we are given the same offer that Noah was given, an offer to trust in his grace and to trust in his forgiveness. Only Noah was left. Look at verse 24. And the waters prevailed, Gabor, the waters were a mighty warrior. They prevailed on the earth 150 days. Noah had to wait. It wasn't just 40 days and 40, it was 150 days. And then chapter 8, verse 1 says, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. That leads us to our second point, is that when we, when we wait on the Lord, we trust, and then secondly, we watch. We watch. It says that, that God remembered Noah. Now, this isn't like that God was like, oh, right, um, Noah. Okay, yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, but there's all this water and the volcano and stuff like that. Noah, okay, yeah, here's what we're going to do. That, that's, not what is, that's not what's going on here. When the word remember is being, is being used to describe God remembering, God can't forget. The idea is that God is remembering a promise that he had made to that person. That, that he's, he's about to act based off that promise. Uh, Brevard Childs uh, has this, a wonderful quote. He says, the essence of God's remembering lies in his acting towards someone because of a previous commitment. Those glasses that Brevard uh, Childs is wearing there, Shem was actually wearing those glasses on the ark. Um, but God, when he remembers, he's, he's, he's acting based on a previous promise. Then keep looking at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, so he remembered, all, he, he remembered Noah and all the livestock that were with him and in, in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. Uh, in Hebrew, uh, ruach um, is the same word for wind, the same word for breath, and the same word for spirit. So you've got wind moving over the waters, which is the same word for spirit moving over the waters. Does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 1, the spirit of God hovering over the waters. So we've, we've seen creation completely destroyed, and now God has remembered Noah, and now we're going to see recreation take place. Look at, uh, 
verse two, it says, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. Verse three, and waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Here are the mountains of Ararat, eastern Turkey, southern Russia, northwest Iran, Armenia, basically. Here's, uh, here's a picture of the mountains of Ararat. And the ark's up there somewhere. And, or that's where it landed. That's where it rested. Noah's name means rest. It says, it, literally in Hebrew, it says that the ark Noahed in the mountains of Ararat. And then in verse 5, it says that the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. 10 months. Now, all of this started, the rain started in the second month. So eight months since it started to rain, 40 days, everything's covered. And then for 150 days, and then it, it, there's an eight month period before we see, again, just like creation, we see land emerge out of the water. The mountains are visible Verse 6 says, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. He opened a window. Oh, my goodness. Somebody open a window in here. I don't know. I got to talk to Pastor Chris. They had all these simulation things with regards to the ark. I don't know if they had a smell simulator. That would not be a very popular. I mean, if we go on a, a road trip with four boys, every once in a while, we're just like, oh, someone open a window. Come on. I can't imagine. Listen, waiting often puts us in some uncomfortable positions. I, I can't imagine what, what Noah and his family endured in, of, in terms of what they saw, in, in, in terms of what they smelled, in terms of how they felt. He opened the window after a 40 days you noticing he, he talked about 40 days at the beginning of the flood. Now there's 40 days towards the end. There's 150 days. In fact, if you trace it out, let, I'll show you this on the screen here. Um, God said, hey, in seven days, I need you on the ark. And then, it, and then seven more days, uh, are, 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 sorry, that seven-day period is mentioned. And then a 40-day period. And then 150 days is mentioned twice. And then 40 days. And then seven days. And then seven days. In... In, in Hebrew poetry and in Hebrew literature, writing kind of works like Russian nesting dolls. You sort of start with the story and you have a big piece and a, a top piece and a bottom piece and you separate them and a top piece and a bottom piece and you separate them and a top piece and a bottom piece and then the little treasure is inside. That's the way Hebrew literature works so often is it mirrors one another. You have a top and a bottom and they all line up pointing to something in the middle. And this is what the main message that we can remember when we think about waiting on God. God commanded them to go into the ark. That's at the top. And then at the bottom is go out from the ark. And you have all these references. And listen, I could spread this out 10 more times to show you all of the different parallels 
in this story, but right at the middle is chapter 8, verse 1, that God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Here's the other thing. As the story is going, God's doing all this talking with Noah. Build the ark. Get all the animals. Here's all the instructions. Okay, Noah, it's time to get in the boat. Seven days notice. Okay, Noah, now it's going to start. God's talking. He's talking. He's talking. He's talking. All of this time goes by. It's not until we get to chapter 8, verse 15, where God says something to Noah. Sometimes we go through life and we wonder, why isn't God speaking to me? Why aren't I hearing from him? But right in the middle of it, even when you don't feel like God's not listening or even when we want to hear from him and we're not hearing from him, right in the middle of the story, we are being told that God never forgot about Noah. He never ignored Noah. God remembered Noah. So Noah is here. He opens up the window. Verse six says, or sorry, verse seven says that he sent forth a raven and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. So the raven goes and he's gone. Uh, ravens, uh, you know, ate, they're scavengers. They could have eaten any rotting flesh that was uh, floating at the, uh, uh, on the surface of the water. They're very strong. Ravens also biblically are associated with places of death, places where humans can't live. It often says that that place is going to be a dwelling place of ravens. So the fact that the raven can survive isn't exactly a great sign, okay? Then he sends out a dove, a far different kind of a bird, a small, vulnerable bird. And then the, the dove in verse 8, he says, He sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. That word set is the word Noah. She, she, the dove found no Noah to set her, uh, to, for her feet. And she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Now, if this is me, no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And so if that was me, it would be everybody out. He's got the evidence. He's watching. He's seeing with his eyes. There's an olive leaf. That means there's an olive tree. Please get me off of this ark. That's not what Noah does. Verse 12. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Okay, so now. Okay, I did the dove test three times. 21 days of dove testing, I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to get out of the ark, but that's not what he does. Verse 13, in the 601st year, a whole year has gone, remember he was 600 when this started, a whole year has gone by now. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. 
He done, he's done the raven test, the dove test. He can now see with his own eyes. The world is dry. Everybody out. That's not what he does. Look at verse 14. In the second month, another month goes by of Noah looking at dry ground. Having already been in the ark for all of that time, he's looking at dry ground. Another month goes by. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Verse 15, then God said to Noah. It's interesting that in our English Bibles, that's, that's one verse. Then God said to Noah. Because Noah had been waiting for God to speak all of this time. It's what we're waiting for. We know that God's remembered. We know that God is judged. We know that he's protecting him. But God, why aren't you speaking? Noah's watching. He sees God. It's working. I can see that the world is coming back to life. He's waiting for God to speak. And then he does. The Lord said to Noah, verse 16, go out from the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Loved ones, we, we see Noah here waiting on God. We see him trusting. We see him watching. But most importantly, loved ones, we see him obeying. When we wait on the Lord, we obey. People of God are not primarily a people of the eye. People of God are primarily a people of the ear. Yes, we watch. And we pay attention. And Noah, Noah's being a good scientist. He he's has some controlled experiments with the raven and with the doves. And he's looking. He can see the ground is dry. But at the end of the day, it's not his eyes that he is trusting in. He is trusting in the word of God. Too often I sit down. With, with believers who love the Lord Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, who want to honor God, but they get themselves tangled up into some weird financial situation or relational situation or conflict situation. And at the end of the day, what so often happens is they, is they, they continued watching without listening. And they started looking for coincidences to sort of justify that they could do what they wanted to do. And they were looking for signs. And there was this sort of thing in the cloud. And then my Cheerios arranged in this way. And then the person called. I was thinking about this. And then I got this phone call from this person right at this time. And listen, we can watch. I'm not saying don't watch. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, what does God's word say? Because God will never show you in a sign Something that is going to cause you to contradict his word. Noah saw dry ground for weeks on end. But he didn't trust his eyes. He trusted in the word of God. We obey. All of these references to uh, dates here. I just jotted them all down here on a, on a slide for you. All of these months. All, so he's 600 when it starts. 601 when it's all over. The elapsed time between God speaking to Noah was one year and 11 days. 
One year and 11 days of silence from God. That's waiting. Especially in those last few months. I can see the mountains. There's an olive leaf in the dove's mouth. I can see the dry ground now. Still not hearing anything. Waiting on God. And it's amazing what God says. He says, go out. Go out from your ark with your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Remember, I had you underline a couple of places where Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 seem to come up. Uh, this is the, 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 the whole thing that we see here. Let's go to the next slide. Creation, decreation, and recreation. We have in the creation story a reference to the deep. Water covering the whole earth. The spirit of God or the wind of God hovering over the waters. Dry land appearing. The classification of animals. The reference to the breath of life. And then the command to be fruitful and multiply. God is doing a work of new creation. A work of new creation. And for Noah, his ultimate authority was not signs that he thought he was seeing. His ultimate authority was the word of God. And we as Christians should not be following signs. We can, we, we can look, we can watch. We can try to discern, but our ultimate authority is the word of God. Waiting is hard. Waiting is an act of obedience. But loved ones, waiting is, is worth it. Look with me at verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of sin. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God makes a promise here that he will never again destroy the earth in this way. He says while the earth remains, because there will be an ultimate end, an ultimate a judgment. But the first thing Noah does when he steps on dry ground is he builds an altar and he makes sacrifices. And again, for the original audience, you know, who have, they've been learning the book of Leviticus as God has passed it down to them uh, through Moses and the significance of clean animals and unclean animals and having an animal die in your place. If anyone had a sense of walking away from a catastrophic event saying, man, I should be dead. Some of us have had those, right? Close calls on the highway, severe illnesses, accidents, where you step back for a second and you realize, oh my, oh my, I should be dead. I can't believe I'm still alive. If anyone ever thought that, it was Noah. 
And so the first thing that he does is he worships. Some of those animals that he protected and preserved, they die as, as sort of as his substitute, standing in his place, symbolizing that, that he's alive. He has been delivered through the waters of judgment. Now for the original audience, this would have had some, some significance Moses, who's writing this story, he also wrote the book of Exodus, which tells, you know, his you know, autobiography at the very beginning, where in Exodus chapter 1, where Pharaoh wants to throw all of the babies into water, wants to, to kill everyone in, by throwing them in the water, Moses is laid in a basket. In Hebrew, it doesn't say basket, it says ark. It says that Moses' parents waterproofed the ark with pitch. Just like Noah's ark. Moses was delivered through. Everyone's dying around him, but Moses is delivered through water on an ark. Fast forward, you come to the Red Sea. And here's water. And God, who, who had Noah make, make an ark to protect his, his people and save them from the water, from death. Now we see God separating the waters. And the people walked through on dry ground. And then the enemies of God go in. And they are, just like in the days of Noah, they are covered with water. And the people of God worship and make sacrifices like Noah worships and makes sacrifices. This all would have been very, very real for the original audience. This, this, this should all be very, very real for us. We, we worship when we wait on the Lord. We trust, we watch, we obey, and we worship. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17 that it, just like in the days of Noah, the, the day of the Son of Man is going to be the same way. People are going to be marrying and giving in marriage. There, there's, no one's going to have any fear or any concern. Jesus warns us to be ready. And Jesus tells us our way of escape. Something that the Apostle Peter illustrates beautifully in both of his letters. Here's the first way he illustrates it in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Noah waited on God, but we also got to remember that God waited on the whole planet. God wants us to wait and be patient because God is a God who waits and is patient. We would have no hope unless God were a patient God and a God who waits. God, God's patience waited in the days of Noah. It goes on, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Safely save salvation. Noah was saved through the water by the ark. Then Peter makes the New Testament connection. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. 
not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not the actual exterior ritual that does it, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The paragraph begins by talking about Christ's suffering for sin, and the paragraph ends with the resurrection. It begins with the cross, and it ends with the empty tomb, and that's what baptism corresponds to. Baptism is saying that Jesus is my ark, I deserve to die under the wrath of God, under the flood of God's judgment. I deserve to die. And just like Noah fled into the ark, I flee to the cross, to Jesus who suffered for me, to Jesus who rose again for me. And when I get baptized, I'm I'm being baptized in water, a symbol of God's judgment, a symbol of death. And I'm going under the water because Jesus went under the water of God's wrath. He was judged in my place. I'm identifying myself with his judgment and I'm pulling myself up out of the water. Loved ones, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Followers, Jesus said, go and make disciples. The first thing you do in making a disciple is to baptize them. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you need to get baptized. Because the the Bible cover to cover gives this picture of judgment and death and resurrection that we see in the days of Noah. And we see in our day today. And then Peter makes this other connection, which instructs us about how we should live today. Talking about scoffers in his day and in our day. The scoffers will say, where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. That by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The world was destroyed by a flood once. It's going to be destroyed, destroyed by fire next. And then he goes on to say, but do, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. L- listen, we want Jesus to come back. We're waiting for that. But listen, God is waiting too. God is calling us to be patient because God is patient and God is compassionate and wants to reach people. And we should be compassionate and want to reach people. He goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? On every continent, in every culture, there's a memory of the flood. But the flood story didn't change anybody. Keep reading. It didn't even change Noah. That act of judgment on the whole planet, saving one man, 
didn't change anyone. But there was another act of judgment, not on the whole planet to save one man, but on one man to save the whole planet. And that act of judgment leads us to ask the question, what kind of lives should we then live in holiness and in godliness? That act of judgment, unlike the flood, actually changes people from the inside out. Because that act of judgment not not only recreates the planet, it recreates the heart. It allows us to be born again. And so, loved ones, as we come before the cross, which is our ark, which saves us from the wrath that we deserve, we have a new birth. We have new life. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and the Spirit of God is trying to produce in us patience. And the way that he produces that in us, there's no other way other than having to wait on him. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a a newer song uh, as a church family. So Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, praying for patience, praying that we would learn how to wait on you, learn how to trust you, and to watch and believe that you're working, but ultimately to listen to your word, that it would be the authority in our lives. And ultimately, Lord, that we would worship. And so, God, I pray for those, especially right now, who are waiting, who are in a very uncomfortable and difficult place, but are waiting in you. Help, help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to believe and trust that you are holding on to us. So, God, we pray for your spirit to be with us as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.